Welcome to the conversation. This is the AEC Disruptors Podcast, and I'm your host, Christopher Riddell. Today, I have a very special guest for what I'm deeming the AEC Disruptors Valentine's Day edition. She's what is called a double jacket, holds two different degrees from Georgia Tech, an undergraduate degree in architecture, and a master's in city and regional planning. She's part of the design studio and a local firm here, Croft Associates, and oh, by the way, she's also my much more creative better half, Brianna Riddell. Listen in to learn a little bit more about us, and don't leave before you hear her take on how buildings should be designed for when autonomous vehicles hit the road. Let's get to it. So, tell me, how excited are you about this? On a scale of 1 to 10? Yes. Zero. (laughs) (laughs) So, I thought it would be fun, um, one... I can't believe you actually are going to be on this with me. I know, I can't either. <laughs> but I thought it'd be fun. If people wanted to get to know us or me a little better, is we'd start with how we met. All right? Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> and so um, for everyone listening, we met actually at work. Uh, we both are in architecture. We both went to Georgia Tech um, five years apart. I'm a little older than Brianna. And... I think Brianna asked me out first. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> but um, but we worked together for a while. So why don't you start off about how we kept it a secret? <laughs> oh, okay. So I guess, yeah, I was a senior at Georgia Tech when we started dating. Um, but yeah, we met at work. Um, we were on a small project together. I think I was picking up red lines. It was the wor- it was my like the worst project I've ever had. Like I, that project, I think I have nightmares now about that project. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. Somehow we hit it off and started talking, and you decided it was a great idea to keep it super secret <laughs> to the point where we couldn't even be friends at work, but then we were dating outside of work. So I was telling that story to um, Alyssa. Uh-huh. And the way I described it was, and it makes sense in my head, like why I did this, is because we were working together on Black Bear, I didn't want people to think when I was talking to you that I was goofing off. And uh-huh. so like my rationale was that if we were together, we were working so no one could ever know. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> I don't know how we got like made it past that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um So we fast forward a little bit, we get engaged, and it's still a secret for some, not all, one. after like two years. Yeah. We've been together for a while, got engaged, and then we're staying, and I told this story too, we're staying at a Christmas party at work. Yeah. And I mean, um, at that point, most people knew. Yeah. I guess just this one person didn't know. (laughs) And he, uh, everyone was like congratulating you, I think, for- They were looking at my ring, and yeah, I was showing it off, and then he's like, oh- you're engaged? That was, was like, so funny because I'm like right next to you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, to him. <laughs> the look on his face was so funny. He was so shocked. But um, I would say that was like the hard... Working together was pretty tough. Yeah, it was. It was like lots of togetherness. I mean, we made it work, but it's it's kind of rough. <laughs> there was a period of time um, we drove together and ate lunch together and drove home together. And ate dinner together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of good now. You're at your own place and I'm at my yeah. own place. Yeah. Um, no, I thought it'd be cool to uh, have you talk with me 
Um, I know you were like super angst about it, so <laughs> thanks for being a part with me. Yeah. Um, so to everyone out there, uh, I obviously I record a lot of this in our home office, and so Brianna gets to see all my stuff, but she's never actually gotten to be a part of it. And so now she gets to be a part of it. I'm pretty sure I have a ton of views now, and I think most of them are Brianna <laughs> listening to my stuff. I'm your biggest supporter. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. Um, no, but we actually had a couple of serious things I thought it'd be cool to talk about. Uh, Brianna is super passionate about many things, but I would say, well, one, Brianna is so much more talented than me and creative when it comes to design and architecture and all things uh, drawing related. Um, if it wasn't for Revit, I would not even be here now because I can't draw my way out of a paper bag. Like my handwriting's so bad. But um, in all seriousness, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of things. The first thing is I wanted to ask you the question, what, you know, you have this master's in city planning, but then you practice in architecture. Has your city planning degree actually like helped make you a better designer? And if so, like how has it made you a better designer? Yeah, I would say it definitely has. Um, so far working, I guess I've worked in the industry now nine years one more than me <laughs> yeah i was a summer intern for a while um but yeah i've been working full-time as an architectural designer um but yeah it i guess i think a little differently than other architects because i like to say that sometimes architects just think about their building and their site um but lots of times when I start a project, I like to look at the bigger picture and the community that the project is in and try to really do some research to make sure that our building design is the right building for that community, whether it's looking at the sidewalks or just siting it on the property. Um, you just want it to fit and not stand out. Like a sore thumb. Yeah. And so... Yeah, how I got into city planning, um, actually always thought I would just do the straight architecture path and get my master's in architecture, but when I was at Georgia Tech, my senior year studio was actually more city planning oriented, um, and we did a lot of research on West Atlanta, so we studied all of the neighborhoods near Mercedes-Benz Stadium and looked at the Marta Red Line and Northside Drive, and so... I thought that was really cool looking at just the neighborhood scale and the community and not just one building site. Um, so that really geared me to thinking larger picture, but I always still love design. So kind of a weird blend. <laughs> well, that's what was cool, I guess, because um, Friendship Baptist was in that area. And yeah. so I felt like you had a lot of knowledge about what was around yeah, yeah. Um, that whole site because that was kind of part of it yeah uh, now i know um we both try to live a healthier lifestyle i mean we're not doing a great job most of the time at least i'm not but health and wellness <laughs> yeah <laughs> but we did do whole 30 we did whole 30 and that, that was, was like tough two years ago do you remember um the hardest part of whole 30 was when we were sitting in the uh, Longhorns or the Target parking no, lot. Target, yeah. <laughs> we were sitting in the Target parking lot. That was the, was that it was the, the first, first weekend. weekend? And yeah. I think you were like crying because it's like, I don't know what we're going to eat for dinner. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. And uh, we went to Longhorns and I thought I did so good because I got a salad 
and maybe a steak. I'm like, oh, I did good. And then it's like, oh, by the way, you know, they like, they put have, butter there's on. like soy in that steak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I cheated like the very first day. I mean, we did well though. Yeah, we fought it. We stuck through the whole time. So. Um, it has changed habits, I would say. You know, oh, yeah. We meal prep a lot better than before. And definitely like you read ingredient labels a lot more. Uh, I mean, I always did with food allergies, but it really gets you into looking at what's actually in your food. Yeah, I feel like sugar or whatever. I, I feel like a hipster when I'm standing in Target or in Publix, like reading the back of a, a ketchup bottle <laughs> to see which one has high fructose corn syrup in it or not. Yeah. The AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by the Bridging the Gap podcast. They're on a mission to seek out conversations with AEC, MEP, and manufacturing industry experts who are helping drive the changing technological landscape. They will empower you to transform industries by championing innovation. So join them on their journey. As each episode, they sit down with an industry expert who can help bridge the technology, productivity, and efficiency gap into the future. Visit bridgingthegappod.com for more information and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. But anyway, so obviously we we do try a little bit there, but you are very passionate about health and wellness as a whole, right? Yeah. Um, and do you do you see yourself trying to, or do you think we can get better about tying or designing for health and wellness, or like how do those two maybe tie together? Oh yeah. Um. So I mean, I always love reading. Like whenever I fun read, I read about diets and just health and wellness and <laughs> spirituality and all that stuff. Send, send um, me links to things that I'm not allowed to have anymore. <laughs> yeah. Reading about organic products and, um, we're even looking at what organic diapers. And... Yeah. Oh, by the way, we're having a baby. <laughs> yeah. By, by the way, we're having a baby. Um, so I got to get these recordings out for everybody because soon I'm going to be sleep deprived with a little, uh, screaming bundle of joy. Yeah. <laughs> so we have that to look forward to. But yeah, anyways, uh, I I definitely think that we should be designing, um, like architects and city planners should really be thinking about health and wellness and designing for a better quality of life and for just overall happiness. Um, I got into that also when I was in grad school. I did a lot of research on blue zones and I actually read the book um, the Blue Zone Solution, which was really, really interesting. Basically, um, this guy went out and did a lot of research on pockets around the world <clears throat> where people lived the longest, where a bunch of sanitarians lived. And he really wanted to understand what was different about those communities and why they tended to live so much longer versus the American communities mm -hmm. and just with the American diet. And so after reading that, I really thought about how does this book apply to just the built environment and architecture, specifically in the United States. Um, and he did, in his whole book, he did that whole study also. Um, but there's a lot of factors that go into designing the environment that affect your mood and just your quality of life. Um, so really it comes down to like sidewalks and walkability and 
natural light within the building and just all these different factors that make you happier and make you feel like the building was designed for you and not for a car or anything else. So is that, um, cause sometimes you hear like sick building syndrome is part of that actually tie into that a little bit about how people yeah. actually get sicker because the building wasn't designed yeah. well enough for healthy living. Yeah. And I think a lot of architects realize that now. And I think there's something called like the well building standard. Mm -hmm. Like I know there's lead for environment, but there's also now new standards that they're trying to put in place to actually design for a better quality of life for the user, whoever's in the building. That, um, I can't remember the building at Georgia Tech, the Ken, Ken Ken Donna, yeah. Kendetta. Um, <clears throat> I think it was something similar they were going after. There were like seven points of things they were looking at, like environmental and all these things. Oh, yeah. But I think it was looking at... Um, just overall health of the building. I think that was the well built building standard, actually. They had like seven points. Yep, that was it. Yeah. I think there were seven points. It was like water conservation <clears throat> and different. Yeah, somewhere, we may have thrown it away. Somewhere here we have a, uh, a list or that document. But yeah. it was kind of cool because as you walk through the building, there's certain areas of that building that were tied to those certain points. Um, and it was actually a cool place to, cool place to visit. But uh, so then... What would you say, because I know when, um, in my past life, I went to Savannah, if you remember, I went down for that senior living conference, mm -hmm. and one of the classes that I sat through, they talked a lot about uh, forest bathing, is that the term, uh, or something yeah. like forest bathing, and so they were talking about how forest bathing helps with seniors, um, mm -hmm. you might be able to explain forest bathing better than me, but effectively being outside actually helps, Yeah, you know, improve, Um so one, what is your take on forest bathing? But two, do you feel like we need to get better about like, would you say there we're actively designing well to accommodate for things like that? Or is everything still in inward focused and yeah. not so much outward nature-y? Yeah. Uh, so forest bathing, I don't know everything about it, but um, basically there's research that shows that being out in nature really enhances your mood um, because of just chemicals that the plants emit, the trees mm -hmm. specifically, like in Georgia, all, all the, the pine trees. Yeah. If you're going on a walk through Kennesaw Mountain, it's actually really good for your health, not just, just for the not physical. Just not when the pollen's really high. But just the oxygen and everything, you can, yeah, it enhances your mood a lot um, and helps with depression and different things. Um, but then also just incorporating nature into your design mm -hmm. um which people i mean should be doing anyway in cities and yeah different places definitely making sure that trees are being planted and conserved and do you feel like you've worked on so far i mean you may not have but you've worked on one that started to think about that a little bit more like tying in the nature a building project mm -hmm. um tanner started to maybe yeah you know i yeah. guess the medical center you want mm -hmm. to explain that one a little bit is a yeah, general concept had, yeah outside there uh it was a medical office building I medical think. office building yeah they basically worked with the landscape architect in us to design an outdoor water feature that tied into the building um it kind of played off the architecture of the building outside, but had a lot of benches and different mm -hmm. areas for 
patients to come out and even just employees there to come out during their lunch break and just really enjoy the space and the outside. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there's something else I want to ask you about health and wellness. Do you think, um, do you feel like when it comes to health and wellness, is there anything we should do differently that we're not already? Like when you're designing currently, Mm-hmm. Are you always thinking about that kind of stuff? Um, are you trying to think about that stuff? Or do you find like we're not even really taking into account that aspect of... Yeah, I, I mean... On the regular. Yeah. I personally always think about that stuff. Yeah. And in my head, it's just like, oh, we really should be doing this. Mm-hmm. Because this would make it a lot better. But I think when it comes down to it, it's budget and... A lot of architects, I mean, they're going to prioritize the building over first outside. over whenever you're working with a landscape architect. Like, I'm, I'm working on a project right now that has a really small budget because it's for local government project. Mm-hmm. And, like, the landscape architect came up with a really good design that I saw it and I was like, oh, wow, this would be really cool if they did all of these things. But then, of course, my second thought was, their budget is so small, they're going to, like, VE out all of this and pick one <laughs> little pocket, like, one bench. <laughs> you get one area. Like, a little sculpture that you could put by the entrance. <laughs> but all these, like, canopies and trees and, I mean, they're going to do the bare minimum with just sod and pine straw. So, but... should the designer, should the architect almost challenge themselves to be able to incorporate more of that stuff so that their building can basically in a way can try to give some of their budget away like i mean yeah that'd i mean be if nice. that would ever happen it share yeah i mean and then even just the way the architect designs the building like make sure you have windows at the end of your corridors looking out and just regular connectivity yeah i mean because like for health and wellness in general i mean it seemed like we had so we've lived in our house what two years yes. no almost two years um we had a pretty good checklist of things we were looking for i mean it was dire straits at first to find something i think but (laughs) (laughs) um but i mean it seemed like one of the things that was very important to us was walkability Mm -hmm. and like how many places did we look at that there weren't even sidewalks in the neighborhood yeah well another thing's affordability because we were on a budget and in atlanta you really there's a lot of sprawling suburbs that you have to go further out for more affordable houses yep. and then you lose the walkability. But I mean, we lucked out with our area cause there are sidewalks everywhere and we're so close to like the grocery store and even a couple of restaurants yeah, that we so can walk to. We don't have to drive if we want to go out or in the morning, if we're making breakfast and forget something, lots of times we just walk to Publix. Yeah. And... Um, we, we almost this morning, right? We oh, had, yeah. well, <laughs> We had waffles with no syrup, so we had to go get some syrup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, because you know it's a weird it's a weird thing that I affordability plays a lot into that, and it's weird that in some of the less affordable areas, naturally, or not less affordable, in the more affordable, mm-hmm. so the sprawled out areas, yeah, they're naturally further apart from each other, and we can't walk yeah. to anything. Um, yeah. Versus if we were downtown. We, I mean, we wouldn't be able to afford much down there, Yeah. but then we could walk to everything. So it's really a trade-off, but I hate that it has to be a trade-off. Yeah. 
you know? And so I guess if we could design even thinking about that, um, before we move to the next topic, which that ties in really well, is there anything from the blue zones that you felt like you wanted to bring up or you felt we kind of covered or at least? I think I covered the main part. I think he basically summarizes because he did a ton of research where he came up with, I guess, nine different, he calls it the power nine mm -hmm. lessons that he learned from those different blue zone communities that he studied. Yeah. And a lot of them, I'm not going to list, I'm looking at the book right now, but I'm not going to list all of them out, but a lot are tied to the way they eat, uh, move naturally, so obviously uh, they don't drive around everywhere like Americans do. Um, they have just a lot of spirituality and great community where they stay connected. Wasn't that one, like, friend group, almost, like, having that big... Yeah. Was, where was the group? It was uh, Japan, right? Or somewhere where... The group of men that were always work or walking together or something oh, yeah. about yeah, I think yeah they had like walking groups where basically it was like lifelong friends where you would have it's kind of like if you had a friend like Taylor yeah. from elementary school that you lived near him your whole life because a lot of these people just like small stay communities in the, in the community forever but this lifelong friend that they've known since they were six they grow up with him they have kids like. Their kids are friends with their kids, and then they end up, they, like, have walking groups that they walk every morning together until they're, like, 100, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so it's just that support that, I mean, when something happens that's bad in your life, you always know you have that person to talk to. So. You have that community. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that, like, you don't think about that in general for health and wellness, but that community aspect is pretty important. Yeah. And even, like, where we lived, I mean, in a way, I've always wanted a front porch. I think you like the idea of a front porch and yeah. the ability to kind of look out, whether it's on nature or if somebody was sitting outside. I mean, there is more connectivity than mm -hmm. everything internally focused. The AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and champion innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. There's one more thing I want to talk about, and it's a little more sort of techie out there, probably more techie for me than you, but I think you have a cool take on it or a good opinion that I'm curious about, and it's about autonomous vehicles, okay? Mm -hmm. So I have an opinion. I don't know if it's the same as yours, but my question is, based on your education, <clears throat> what you've heard, what you've seen, or anything yeah. like that, do you think that the, uh, the role of the autonomous vehicle will actually disrupt the practice of architecture and urban design as a whole. Um, do you see us needing to design differently or, or what do you think we should start thinking about when it comes to having more autonomous vehicles on the road and potentially in a perfect world when they become all autonomous vehicles? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so definitely uh, because right now, so I took a class in grad school called retrofitting suburbia and so we learned all about just the way suburban um, areas are designed 
poorly mm-hmm. um, around the car. And right now, everyone has a car, and obviously, I like my car, and I like <laughs> being able to go places. I don't want to have to walk to the store every day. <laughs> yeah, but right now, we design buildings around the car. We don't necessarily design it around the pedestrian. True. And, I mean, a lot of people know that now, and yeah. cities are changing and stuff, but if the cars change, and the way we use them changes, and the need... Just people aren't maybe going to have a family car anymore if they just people share cars or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's just not the need to park the car everywhere you go. So if you are at work all day, maybe that car goes off and picks someone else up and just keeps going. So cars are eliminated. The need for parking lots is eliminated. The need for drive-thrus is eliminated. And when you think about, especially suburbia, there are a lot of drive-thrus everywhere. Yeah. And every building, when you look at them, when we drive down Cobb Parkway. Plopped in the center of. Plopped in the center of the property with parking wrapped around it. Yep. So. What are we going to do mean, with that? If we don't. So we that, should we start, um, would you say if nothing else, we should start siding our buildings, at least taking yeah. into consideration that that parking potentially won't be needed? Yeah. Definitely. Like, especially whether it's a Walmart or whatever. And I, like in that class we studied, I think there was a Walmart uh, case study where they at least planned their utilities and everything underneath the parking lot in a grid mm-hmm. so that they could go in later and infill and create kind of like a downtown town center layout around the, around the Walmart that only has a lifespan of, I don't know, five, 10 years or whatever it was going to be. Yeah. Because knowing that, that's not going to be there for very long. The parking lot takes up so much space, and they want a well-planned out area after the Walmart's gone, so might as well think through this and mm-hmm. have kind of city block grid layout. In, in the even parking lot? Yeah, parking lot with utilities and even just siding buildings closer to the road so everything's more walkable. And even with, like, malls, you could... Uh, retrofit a mall yeah and just kind of leave the anchor stores and got out the middle part there's that place in hilton head yeah hilton head that did that too. yeah where they kept the sears or maybe not sears but something belk on no yeah, belk. belk maybe yeah they kept the belk on the end and demolished everything else and they just flipped it and made it an outdoor mall yeah instead of an inside mall you'll probably see more of that i think in yeah general. especially in areas that have they have good weather What's so. interesting, because um, for my last class, uh, we did a lot of study on the autonomous vehicle. And what we were talking about or we learned is that it won't look like a car that we think of today, most likely. And they're normally going to be so expensive that like a family like us is not going to have one. But our friend group, the six of us, may own one together. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there won't really be. And I'm like, are we going to need garages anymore? You know, like, is that garage just going to become usable space? Now, this is something I'm curious about because I have an opinion on this. Do you think it will increase urban sprawl or decrease it? And there's no right answer, but do you think having more autonomous vehicles actually moves people closer or further away? I think closer because you might start building things more dense. More dense. Like there's if more you opportunity. Start filling the parking lots, depending on how developers and people handle it, might increased density and then people 
just live closer, but it's also whether it affects affordability of living closer. See, I, I think that it could impact, I think it could make it urban sprawl worse. And the reason I think would be if I, uh, now I can't because my stomach's a little girl, I'm going to get sick. But <laughs> if I, uh, if I live like an hour away, which we do from work, but my car could drive me, I could do work in the car or I could sleep or read or do whatever. Mm -hmm. So me being further from work doesn't super matter because I could be working yeah. Well, so I'm not losing time. Whereas right now, it takes me an hour in the morning, hour and a half at night. Yeah. That's two and a half hours that are just like totally wasted. So I think there's a chance that it could maybe make it worse. Well, it's just like an Uber situation. If you don't own your own car, then you're going to have to pay for it. So people aren't going to want to pay for True. You know, and I wonder, um, yeah, and that's possible that all of a sudden now it's more expensive for me to drive from, yeah. you know, wherever we live down to wherever. Um, is there anything else that you want to mention before I let you go since you were slightly nervous about doing this with me? <laughs> no. It wasn't Sorry, bad, no, was it? It wasn't bad. I told you it was going to be good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Jeez. Thanks for letting me come into the office and, yeah. and talk when you're talking. Yeah. See, it wasn't so bad. Um, cool. No, I think that was that was good. So thank you for coming. Yeah. I appreciate it. Brianna is my bigger supporter. Really is so much more talented than I am. <laughs> um, you guys know the drill. Uh, always check back. Look for us. Follow us on Twitter. Do you follow me on Twitter? Yes. You I did. Do. So I got. A, I don't even use Twitter. I know. I got a notification that Brianna Riddell liked thirty-five tweets of the AEC disruptor. The AEC disruptor. Like 35 tweets. That was an exciting little oh, yeah. notification for that me was to like get. The first time I got on Twitter. And just liked all my stuff. A couple months. Yeah. <laughs> just like, 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 like. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you been to the website? Have you gone to the www.theaecdisruptors? That's an O for disruptors. Have you gone to that yet? No, I haven't. You gotta go there. <laughs> it's super easy. If you go there, you can see the latest episode, right? And then you can see all the places we are. Do you know where we are? Where are we on? Uh, Spotify. Spotify, iTunes. Stitcher. I don't even know what Stitcher is on Stitcher. Pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're on there. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> You're a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening in. Hopefully this was fun. Got to learn a little bit about uh, Christopher and Brianna. And in the not-too-distant future, Baby Riddell. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone, to the AEC Disruptors. Please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. The AEC Disruptors is produced and directed by me and edited by Alyssa Chartier. The AEC Disruptors is an applied software production, copyright Applied Software 2019.